Well, good evening, folks. Punctures come at the best time, I'm afraid, but we're here now. We're here very relatively on time, um, and we do trust the Lord blesses our time together once again. Let's come, please, to Psalm 73 this evening. Psalm 73, as we come to uh, our last uh, stu- of the, our three studies of but God's in the Word of God. We've looked at Joseph and uh, that great uh, confidence that he had where even though the world meant evil against him, that God meant it unto good. Last week we looked at, at temptation and how even in our, our weaknesses and even in our feelings that God is faithful. And tonight we're going to look at, at God in our discouragements. God whenever we face discouragement. Psalm 73, it's a comparatively lengthier reading than perhaps we're used to, but we'll take time just to read through the psalm together and then we'll study it together afterwards. Psalm 73, the word of God says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped, For I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily, they set their mouth against the heavens. And their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Blessed, behold, these are the ungodly, who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They're utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise her image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. Amen. And we trust that God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts tonight. God is the only one who can truly satisfy his people in times of discouragement. David asked of the Lord in Psalm 61, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher 
than I. He knew that whenever he was facing challenges and difficulties, he was able to know God intervening in his life. And here in Psalm 73, Asaph has come to know that God can intervene in his life, not only in terms of of physical events, like perhaps as we looked at the life of Joseph, how God is still in control, how God orchestrates some things to be as he continues to lead us and guide us in his will. Even as we think, perhaps particularly in the Old Testament, where God's people found themselves in in times of trouble, if it be in battle, in times of war, whenever the, the enemies of God were oppressing the children of God and then God intervened but here Asaph knows how God intervenes in his own heart and in his own mind and then says verse 26 that has that great statement in it my flesh and my heart faileth but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever see tonight God in our discouragements and see how God can intervene and how God is there for the troubled heart of his people tonight. Firstly, look at the causes of discouragement. Because in this psalm, Asaph is one who is discouraged, and he tells us what has caused this discouragement. And it all begins whenever he takes his eyes off the Lord. Because in verse 1, we have someone here who is sure about the goodness of God, someone who's confident about the faithfulness of God. Asaph says in the verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Here's somebody who knows the Lord. Here's somebody who's walking in fellowship with God. Here's one who knows what it is to be close with God. Somebody who knows about God's goodness and about God's faithfulness. And and we have so much conviction here in Asaph as he says those words, truly God is good to Israel. There's no doubting about his faithfulness. Now, in the verses that we've read and the verses that we'll get to, we see that Asaph is one that does become discouraged. But uh, this is his starting point. He knows about the goodness of God. He knows about the blessing that God shows to his people, the favor God shows to his people. And it's whenever his eyes are taken off the Lord that he forgets all this. We'll get to that shortly. But believer tonight, we can never doubt his faithfulness. We can never forsake his faithfulness. Like Jeremiah, we can say in Lamentations 3, his compassions feel not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. How good he has been to us this day. How faithful he has been to us since we last met on a Wednesday evening. And we can say, not just with Jeremiah there, but with Asaph here in the verse 1, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Truly God is good to us tonight. Truly God is good to his people. Asaph knows that truth in his head. He knows that truth in his heart. But this discouragement comes whenever he takes his eyes off the Lord. Because into the verse 2, he says, As for me, my feet were almost gone, and my steps had well nigh slipped. Even though he, he was sure about the goodness of God, once he takes his eyes off the Lord, he starts to slip from that goodness. And he says his feet were almost gone, his steps had well nigh slipped. He's taken his eyes off the Lord and he becomes discouraged. He stumbles and he becomes weak in his walk with God and and his life is just completely different whenever he's no longer focusing on the Lord and no longer focusing on the things of God. Again, he knows about God's goodness, but that sense of God's goodness has gone for Asaph here once his eyes are off the Lord. His feet were almost gone. He lost his grounding. He lost that that steadfastness he had in God, that that solidity he had and that assurance 
that he had in God. Think of, of David who said, He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. How the child of God has such a, a strong foundation in God. Such a strong foundation, such great assurance we have in the Lord. And as Asaph here is able to testify, and as we ourselves can testify to at times in days gone by, once those eyes are taken off the Lord, we lose that grounding. We lose that sense of assurance. We lose that sense of strength and stability. How we are, we're prone to various dangers, prone to even further discouragements once we no longer have our eyes fixed on the Lord. How Asaph lost his grounding as he slips from, this, from the sense of God's goodness and he loses his, his guidance as well, not just his grinding, but his guidance. His feet were almost gone. His steps had well nigh slipped. Uh, he had no real sense of direction. He didn't know what to do. Whenever he was in this discouragement, because his eyes were off the Lord, because his eyes were away from the things of God, he, he no longer had that, uh, that set and concrete path of where to go and what to look for and who to look for. His steps had well nigh slipped. He didn't know what to do. He was left to his own devices. And whenever you and I have been left to our own devices, things just get worse, don't they? Whenever we no longer trust the Lord, whenever we do rely on our own understanding, whenever we direct our own paths, things turn often to be a disaster. Solomon testified to that as well. Proverbs 16 and the verse 9, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. And how we have a God who not only cares for us, but guides us. How we have a God that doesn't just give us grounding, but he, he gives us guidance. He doesn't just give us assurance, but he leads us in the way in which he would have us to go. How we have a God that has such concern and such care for us that he has every step of our lives planned out. And yet whenever we have our eyes taken off him, what a disaster our lives are prone to being. How we lose that grounding, how we lose that guidance as Asaph does here once he takes his eyes off the Lord. But it's what he puts his eyes onto as well that causes this discouragement. It's not just that he's taken his eyes off the Lord, but he's focused his eyes on the world. And he says as much in the verse 3, he says, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then in those verses to come, he lists the various ways in which the world just seems to enjoy a free pass from Asaph's perspective when it comes to their wickedness, when it comes to their rebellion. In the verse 5, he says that sinners aren't in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Asaph sees those who rebel against the Lord, those who are living open, openly sinful, wretched and wicked lives. And he sees that God isn't really punishing them for it. That God isn't chasing after them as he's chased after him. That God isn't punishing them for perhaps the same sins that he, he chastened Asaph for and punished Asaph for and, and corrected Asaph in. In fact, Asaph looks at the world here and he, and he sees them as almost being better than he is. He looks at, at those who are wicked and he, he sees them doing better than him, that they're more prosperous than him, that God seems to be okay with them. And as Asaph sees how, how free the world is, or how free sinners are outside of the life of God, he starts to, to wonder within himself why he's living that righteous life. And he's envious here, he says in the verse 3 of the foolish. Again, we see the various things that, that troubled the, 
the world at Asaph's time and the things that, that troubled Asaph's heart as well. Again, in the verse 6, to see that pride is, is very much at the fore of a world without God. Violence is there in the verse 6 as well. 7, you have, you have gluttony and greed. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. In verse 8, you have corruption. In verse 9, you have rebellion even against God. And we don't have to go very far to be able to sympathize with the world that Asaph found himself in. We have all these things in our own little province. We have all these things this side of the world. Some three, 4,000 years after, Asaph lamented over the state of the world and how the world seemed to flourish even without living for the Lord. And whenever we see all these things happening, when we see the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer, when we see those that oppress ruling and those that they oppress being forced to forgive, it can cause even the the one this evening that has the strongest walk with the Lord at times to question what God is doing. How Asaph has taken his eyes off the Lord and his eyes are so focused on, on the world, that it causes him great discouragement. He's not, yes, he's lamenting over the sins of these people, but there's also part of him there, as we said in the verse 3, that's envious of it. That sees others not being judged and not being chastened for the same sins that perhaps he had been chastened for. And in the verse 10, other, even others of God's people had been so caught up in it. In the verse 10, therefore his people return hither. And waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. They say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? In Asaph's day, some of God's people went back to the world. Whenever they saw that the world was so free, whenever their eyes were taken off the Lord and they saw the pleasures of the world, when they saw the prosperity of the wicked, they went back to those old ways. And they thought to themselves, well, if God isn't dealing with them, then he has no right to deal with me if I go back to those old sins. If God isn't judging them, if God's not punishing them, then he has no leg to stand on when it comes to me. And he'll have to deal with me the same way he deals with them. Asaph was envious of the foolish. Other of God's people got involved in the pleasures of the world. And last week, whenever we considered temptation, we, we thought about how, how appealing the devil makes sin look, how beneficial, even at times how necessary the devil can make sin look. How, as uh, Solomon said in Proverbs, how the wine looks red in the cup and Satan tries to make sin look so appealing and attractive for as long as he can. He did it here in the, in the days of Asaph. He made the wicked uh, and the life of wickedness and rebellion against God just look so appealing and so attractive. And some of God's people went back to it. Think of the prodigal son and how he had his eyes on the far country and it certainly looked bright and it certainly looked fair and it was until all was spent and he began to be in want. (coughs) How the devil can make those old sins that we've repented of, those old sins for which Christ died, he can make them seem so attractive. And he does his best to lure us back to them. How he lures us to take our eyes off the Lord and have our eyes fixed on the world once again. See the causes of Asaph's discouragement here. But then he also has his eyes fixed within himself. And whenever you're already discouraged, whenever you're already going through a time of questioning, the worst thing you can do is turn to yourself. Because Jeremiah reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The worst thing we can do at times is trust ourselves. 
The worst thing we can do is try and work out why things are happening in our own head and with our own understanding. And Asaph here is so envious of the wicked and he, he starts to wonder to himself why it is these things are. Why he, as he says in the verse 13, has cleansed his heart, why he's washed his hands, why he has given up these old sins. Why the Lord has chastened him for those sins if the world just seems to get a free pass when it comes to them. And so Asaph starts to even question within himself the point of righteous living. He was envious at the foolish. Spurgeon said, it's pitiful that an heir of heaven confesses that he is envious at the foolish. And as we look at the world, there's so much again that the Satan can make so appealing. There's so much in the world that Satan can try to lure us to. And like Asaph here, we know it's foolish. We know that it is wickedness, but the world seems to abound in it. And for God's timing and then God's reasons, he has staved off that day of judgment. And it can cause the hearts of God's people at times to wonder why God gives the world a free pass for so long. How Satan can have our eyes fixed on the world and take our eyes away from the Lord, have our eyes focused upon ourselves that we're so prone to forgetting the great standing that we have in the Lord already. Yes, we're saved for time and for eternity. And yes, we shall be with him forever whenever he returns or calls us home. But there's often so much we forget about how God blesses us even this side of eternity. We can be as, as Johnny Cash, and I doubt Johnny Cash has been referenced too many times here in St. Field Baptist. We can be so heavenly minded we're of no earthly good. We can be so looking forward to that day we're with the Lord and it's a wonderful thing to look forward to, yes, but we can be so useless at times here on earth and forget about how even this side of eternity God has blessed us. Remember Christ as he began his public ministry in the Sermon on the Mount and he began with the Beatitudes and he gave off all those wonderful blessings that can be known even this side of eternity and indeed in the next to come. How the poor in spirit will have the kingdom of heaven. How they that mourn are comforted. How the meek will inherit the earth. How they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. How the merciful obtain mercy. The pure in heart shall see God. The peacemakers shall be called the children of God. And those that are persecuted will receive the kingdom of heaven. Those that are reviled and slandered will be greatly rewarded. How we have all these wonderful precious promises. How the devil can take our eyes even off them. Try to bring us back to that old world. And it can be such a cause of discouragement. As Asaph experienced it here, what was the point of him living a faithful life to the Lord if other people just seemed to be better off than him? I wonder tonight, does faithfulness seem futile? Does that life of obedience to the things of God not mean much to you? Does it not seem like much? Does it seem like a pointless exercise if you're saved for time and for eternity as, of, as other people can often question? If you're saved and all your sins are forgiven then what's the point of trying to live that faithful life to God if the wicked will live just the same life as you would anyway? Believer, turn your eyes back onto the Lord. As that old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and how the things of earth do grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See the causes of Asaph's discouragement tonight. See then the consequences 
of discouragement. What happens whenever the heart of the child of God becomes so discouraged? And Asaph here tells us of, of all that was going on within his heart and all that was going on within his mind. The first half of that verse 26 tells us how it was he was feeling, how it summarizes at least how he was feeling. He said that his flesh and his heart had failed. That's how he felt. He just felt like he was so drained. He just felt like he wasn't himself. And whenever a child of God gets to a place where they're so discouraged, they just feel like somebody completely different. And he says here that his heart had failed. His whole being had just become distorted. His character was was so different than what it once was. Again, see the great difference that you have between the verse 1 and the verse 3. Here's one that used to be able to say, and indeed was able afterwards to say, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Again, somebody who walks with the Lord, somebody who's in tune with God. In the verse 3, it's the same one who's envious of the foolish. It's the same one who is, is almost lured to the world once again. It's the same heart, it's the same person. And his heart had failed whenever he became so discouraged. Again, in those verses in between, Asaph is is questioning why he's living that faithful life. It's a completely different man to see in the verse 1. And how whenever a a soul that belongs to the Lord, whenever a child of God can become so discouraged, we see just how far they can get to sometimes. It's not just a case of of not sensing the love of God or not sensing the presence of God, but it can almost completely change who they are if it goes on for so long and in such a high intensity. Again, and look at the verse 13. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. To put it in New Testament language, why on earth did I get saved? What was the point in me getting saved? If the world is flourishing, What was the point in me turning away from that? All the day long I have been plagued in the verse 14 and chastened every morning. Here's somebody who knew the correction of God after he came to saving faith, as we would say, after he came into this relationship with God and he just wonders why he's even bothered. Again, he's become so discouraged. It's a a completely different person to what we see in the verse 1. Someone who knew about the goodness of God. Someone who knew that God was good to them that are of a clean heart. He knew that God was good to those who live for him. And in this time of discouragement, we see a heart that's so away from the Lord, whose eyes are so far off God, he's wondering why he's even come to know him at all. How it can cause a complete change of nature, a complete change of character. David says in Psalm 42, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? David was asking himself, What possible reason could he have for being so cast down? What reason could he have for being so disquieted within himself to feel so different to what he normally is? As he thinks back to the goodness of God, as he thinks back to the faithfulness of God, and once his eyes are realigned upon him once again, as his heart is once again in tune with God, he thinks to himself, why on earth did I think all those things? Why on earth was I so discouraged whenever I had my eyes so fixed on the world? How one that is far away from the Lord, how one that is so discouraged as we think of those past sins and that old life that we once lived, it can cause one to feel so uncomfortable. And Asaph felt so uncomfortable in this time of discouragement. His heart faileth, he says in that verse 26. He says his flesh faileth 
as well. And, and Asaph here, as he goes through this, this time of discouragement, he doesn't just feel it emotionally, he doesn't just feel it spiritually, but he feels it physically as well. His flesh is even failing here. And we see such, such physical effects coming through in this time of discouragement. You know, whenever discouragement in the Christian walk becomes, again, so intense, perhaps for so long, people can refer to it as a spiritual depression. And whenever you look at, that, at instances of that throughout the Word of God, when you see various people of God going through that time of, of spiritual depression, going through times of, of grave discouragement, you can see it come out physically. And whenever you look at the, the, the physical effects of, of spiritual depression, they almost mirror the, the physical effects of, of mental depression. And clinical depression. Whenever you read through the word of God, you see some of those occasions where the people of God are so discouraged. It comes out in the same sort of symptoms as clinical depression. How those who are so discouraged can become so tearful. And as the psalmist said again, David, in Psalm 42, my tears have been my meat night and day. And David was so discouraged that he just cried until he had no more tears to cry. Wonder is there a child of God this evening who just finds themselves in such a position because of how discouraged they have been in this recent season, how tearful one can become. Asaph himself in the verse 15 mentions one of those physical symptoms, one of those physical events. He, he, he becomes almost flippant, he becomes irritable. Again, a common symptom of, of even clinical depression. Look at what he says in the verse 15. If I say I will speak thus... Behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. Asaph here was very quick to saying something that could discourage not just himself, but the whole congregation, the whole people of God. He was very close to saying something so flippant, saying something in, in a moment where he was so irritable that would upset the fellow people of God. He was almost going to empty out his own feelings to other people and share his discouragement with other people. And how he would have plagued them as well. See how it's not just the spiritual feelings, but it's physical as well. You think of a loss of appetite as well. That can come not just with clinical depression, but with spiritual depression as well. Psalm 102. My days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as a hearth. My heart is, my heart is smitten and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. You have the psalmist there who's so discouraged that he forgets to eat, and he's just withering away physically. That's how intense that this season of depression can be. That's how intense discouragement can become whenever one's eyes are off the Lord for so long. See how it had come out, even in the body, unexplained aches and pains as well. As we said there, my bones are burned as in her. Even whenever we think of, of Naomi as she comes back. As she comes back to Bethlehem with Ruth. And she goes back to Bethlehem and it says in Ruth chapter 1 that whenever they were come to Bethlehem, all the city was moved about them and said, is this Naomi? They couldn't believe it was the same woman. Purely based on how she looked. And whenever you see a child of God that's so discouraged, that's away from the Lord, that's eyes are taken off the Lord, you can almost see it etched across their face. And how Asaph would have been a sight 
compared to what he once was, a heart that was on fire for the Lord, a heart that delighted in the things of God. And again, in such a short space of time, he's gone from such a yearning for the things of God to questioning why he's come to the Lord at all. See how dangerous discouragement can be. See how his flesh and his heart failed. See how his spirit failed. As well, those verses that we mentioned, the verses 13 down to 17, Verily I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. How this completely changes his perspective of a walk with God. How whenever we think of Christ, as he says, I delight to do thy will, O God. And how there's many times even the child of God can say similar, I delight to do thy will, O God. And there's times in our lives where we love the Lord and we would do anything for him. We'd say anything for him. And Asaph was one of those people. Again, look at what he says in the verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel. And here he's had a complete change of heart. How discouraged he has become. His spirit has even started to feel within him. Faithfulness is pointless, he thinks. Correction is painful. All the day long in the verse 14 have I been plagued. And chastened every morning. In the verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Whenever God was even chastening him for his discouragement, he didn't want to know about it. He would rather wallow in his, in his pity. He would rather be in his despair than even hear the voice of God talk, coming to him. The last thing he wanted to hear was the voice of God. The last place he wanted to be was among the people of God. Oh, how discouraged a soul can become whenever their eyes are off the Lord and start to focus on the things of this world. I wonder, is there a heart this evening just over this recent season and you've seen the world, you've seen how it's flourished and you're coming very quickly to a place that Asaph found himself in, questioning why you've even been saved at all. What's the solution to all this? Look at what he says in the verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. Asaph brings his eyes back to the Lord. Oh, he's been so occupied with the world. He's been so occupied with sinners and how he felt God should be dealing with them. And once he comes back to the sanctuary of God, once he comes back to the word of God, once he understands once again the ways of God, then he understands that God will still do what he says he will do, that he is still the holy, righteous judge of all the earth. Psalm 27, the verse 4, it says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Child of God tonight, do you need to come back to the house of the Lord? Maybe you have been here Frequently, but your heart and your mind has been far away. When you bring your eyes back to him, until I went into the sanctuary of God. See the causes of discouragement, the consequences of discouragement. Lastly tonight, see the cure of discouragement. Again, back down to that verse 26. My flesh and my heart, my, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forevermore. Asaph here knows that God is the only one who can help in his discouragement. He knows that even if he does go back to the world, it would only be a, a stick and plaster. It would do him perhaps a little bit of pleasure for a while. 
but it wouldn't really help what it was that caused him this discouragement. At the end of the day, it would only be worse. Remember the prodigal son. He came back to the father's house worse off than the day he left. And how Asaph here sees the Lord once again, and he, he sees a God that doesn't want him to wallow in his despair. But he is a God with him, that even though he had those concerns, and even though he had those questions, that he still had a God that was willing and able to help him. He still had a God who loved him, a God that still cared for him. Asaph knew it wasn't about changing emotions himself. He knew it wasn't about just trying to, to fake a smile until he was genuinely, spiritually happy once again. He knew that the only thing that would turn around this discouragement was to turn to the Lord. Again, to think of that question David asked in Psalm 42, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. How our reliance in those times of discouragement shouldn't be within ourselves, but it should be on him. Our flesh and our hearts may feel, our flesh and our hearts will feel, because as we've considered perhaps over these recent weeks, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh, we have our limits, but God is the strength of our heart. He's our source of encouragement in those times of discouragement. See the source that God is. See the strength that God is. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forevermore. Oh, how Asaph, as we said, isn't just putting on a smile until this passes over. How he's not just pretending that it's all okay, but once he comes back to the Lord, once he is encouraged again in God, that God himself is the strength of his heart. You know, we think of Paul writing to, to the Philippians and as he, he tells us to, to, be, to be careful for nothing but to let our requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How whenever we are grounded in him, whenever we are centered in him, we have such an anchor to hold to, even in those times of discouragement. Whenever those questions do arise, as the questions that Asaph had arise about why the wicked prosper, why God seems to be holding back, why God is perhaps more merciful than we are, why God is more gracious than we are, whenever we have our eyes fixed on him again, we have that strength. We have that source of encouragement. Think of David, Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Who, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. And David was able to look back and say, even though the world was boasting, even though the world was flourishing, as long as he had the Lord, that was all that mattered. And whenever the child of God, myself included, finds themselves in such a position, where the world can do what it likes as long as it's just me and God. Nothing else matters. It's a wonderful place to be in whenever we have such encouragement in the Lord. But as you think of God encouraging Asaph here, it's not just about strength, but it's about sustenance as well. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forevermore. How God was, was his share, how God was his reward 
And as we think of Asaph being envious of the foolish this side of eternity again, he realizes just how blessed God is, or how blessed he is in God. With the old hymn writer, he could have said, Thou my everlasting portion, more than all of life to me. Lord, throughout my earthly journey, let me walk close to thee. How whenever we truly appreciate the Lord, as we said, the riches of the world just fade into absolute insignificance. Once we realize that God undertakes for us in such a wonderful way, we no longer need to turn to the world. Romans 8, somebody described as the best chapter in the word of God. And Romans 8, 17 reminds us this evening, if we're children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with them, that we may also be glorified together. That's what awaits us. How we will be glorified with Christ. How we shall see him and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That day, believer tonight, is one week closer than it was last week. When he returns or calls us home, whenever we see him face to face. And we see him as he is and we truly appreciate him there and then. Surely that spurs us on to be faithful to him. Asaph acknowledges that the wicked will perish in the verse 27. Lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. Look at what he says in the verse 28. It is good for me to draw near to God. In a more literal way, Asaph here says, it's done me good to draw near to God. It's done my heart good. That's an Ulster phrase if there ever was one. It's done me good. Oh, whenever we come to the Lord, it does us good. And whenever we truly come to him and we honestly bring those concerns that we have to him and we come back to his word, we come back to the people of God and we spend that time in the things of God once again, how the world just seems to fade away. And whenever we focus so much on the Lord, what a blessed time we truly have. James encourages God's people, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. What a wonderful invitation we have as his people. That the holy righteous judge of all the earth extends out that hand of fellowship and says, draw nigh to me and I in turn will draw nigh to you. What an invitation for a discouraged heart tonight. Will you take hold of it as we come to prayer? Will you come to that throat of grace and acknowledge once again, truly God is good to his people. May God bless his word to our hearts this evening for his dear name's sake. Amen.